I want to read a couple of passages this morning. I'm going to read out of Hebrews 13 and, and the book of Revelation. So if you would just prepare yourselves to turn with me to those various places in the scriptures, I want to speak to you about something. Um, I, wanted, I, I wanted to talk to you just while you're getting that ready. I wanted to talk to you about something that's really important to me today. And I want to minister to you just kind of as a pastor to you as a people and just let you know something that I believe is important in the heart of God and it's important in my heart. And it's something that we, we practice here in faith. I think everything has to be in faith. Whatever's not of faith is sin. And it's, a, it, it's just as damaging to do something just out of tradition or out of the motions as to not do something at all, really. And so I want us to be a people of faith and I want us to pursue God and I want us to really enjoy the benefits that the Lord has given us through his son, Jesus. And I, I can recall uh, many times, uh, years and years ago, Jeff and I were ministering throughout Europe and we would go into a lot of these places and we would see where uh, churches that were really large and thriving at one point were were pretty much just stale and dead and they were selling their churches and we were watching how bars were buying these old churches and making bar rooms in them. Um, Muslims were buying the churches and making mosques out of them. And I, and I just thought, you know, how, how detrimental that is to the things of God, that something that once stood in this city and that was erected unto the Lord as a symbol of his life and his liberty is now being taken over by demons and they are now taking these landmarks in, in Europe and even in America now. And they're transforming them just into a testimony of Satan and darkness and so forth. And so I started to observe what was going on. What, what were the things that I was seeing there? What is happening in the churches? And I was watching that. And one of the things I noticed practically everywhere I went, and Jeff can bear witness to this, was the lack of an altar. There was no altar. There was no place of worship. There was no time to worship. Just even here this morning, just in the worship service here, and it's just, it's just really, it's just something about it. I know I, I wasn't here one night when Noah was preaching and Noah was talking about coming up into this altar. And he said, it was just a powerful thing that happens up here. And you really, you really can't understand it unless you've been there and you're there in faith, but there's just really something that's taking place. And I'm watching people all around me just suddenly become ministered to by the Lord. And you can just hear the groanings and you can hear the weeping and the travailing that is going on in this altar. And I'm not saying it doesn't happen anywhere else. Please understand that. I'm grateful you're in church and you're in the balcony and you're here and you're worshiping God where you are. I'm not judging that. But I just thank God for an altar. I grew up in a church where the altars were just simply a place. Well, when I grew up for the first 15 years of my life, there was no altar at all. There just, you never came down. Nobody ever came down and, and prayed about anything that went on in their life or the church or anything. It was just over and you, you went home. And then I was a part of some churches where we did have altar calls, but they were basically an altar call for sinners that need to be born again. Or maybe prodigals that are returning home. And that was it. And maybe the pastor would come to the front and he would say, okay, if you need to give your heart to Jesus, come here and I'll pray with you. Or if you need to, you know, repent and come back to Jesus, come up here and they'd play, you know, just as I am. And during the song, the pastor's just kind of waiting and it's an awkwardness, right? During that period of time, is anybody going to go? And sometimes one or two people might go. And I, and I was just thinking, but wait a minute, that's not the altar in the Bible, 
that's not that's not the way that was. The first altar you read about in the Bible is Noah, and Noah is seeking God, and he's praying, and he builds an altar, and he just offers his prayers to God, and he's seeking the Lord. And, and I, I'll tell you something that's very interesting. Noah was a man of the altar all the way up to the time of the ark. He was worshiping God and praying at that altar. And then once the flood came and it was over, when Noah leaves the ark, he doesn't build an altar. He builds a vineyard and he gets drunk. And then a curse comes into his family. And I just believe that when an altar is absent from our life, then one of the things that's just going to naturally flow from that is just a, a powerless religion that can't really keep you. And, and, you know, and I believe even in that, just our churches would be powerless because I say it for this reason. People do not understand or appreciate an altar who do not have a value of God's worth. If, if you don't serve a God that wows you, then you're not going to be in an altar. He doesn't move you. He doesn't astound you. He doesn't wow you. He doesn't startle you. He doesn't astonish you. You're not going to be moved. You're just going to go to church. And you're going to do the church thing. And a lot of people like the church thing. They like, they feel good about themselves. I went to church today and it was, it was good. It was noble, you know, and I, I, I paid tribute to God. But, but when people have an awareness of this God and his value and how holy he is, singing about a trinity, a father and son and Holy Spirit who are perfect and one. I mean, that drives me to my knees when I think about, my God, I'm going to see, I mean, literally guys, I'm, and I, I believe the same about you, but but literally, I'm standing here today and I'm singing these songs. When Christ shall come with shouts of acclamation to call me home, what joy shall fill my heart. Then I shall bow. I'm, my heart started to flutter. I mean, it really did. You know, like a teenage boy seeing the love of his life. Oh, you know, and you're just getting to sweat it. I mean, that's the way I was. I was just like, oh, my God. He's going to come get me and I'm going to see him. And I'm already amazed. I just got to fall on my face before God. And, and people can judge that, or you're just putting on a show, or you're just, well, pray for me, okay? But I know what's going on. It's just a delight just to be up here with God, you know, and to be in an altar. And I started to read that about Noah, and then I started to look at Abraham's life. Everywhere Abraham went, he built an altar. <clears throat> he built an altar. It was a place that he would actually go to, and he would say his prayers, and he would call on God and he would commune with God. And this is even before the law. And he would bring sacrifices and he would lay them on those altars. Think about Job. Think about Job's altars. The Bible says that he made sacrifices continually for his kids. Lest any one of them would have cursed God. So here's Job and he's going, he's making all of these sacrifices to the Lord. And then when calamity struck his life, what did he do? The Bible says he went and he sat on the pile of ashes. Those were the ashes of his sacrifices. He's sitting there before God with devastation in his life. And he's sitting there with a testimony that, God, this is not the first time I've come to you. God, this is not a stranger coming. This is me, God. This is Job. Look at this mountain of ashes that I have, that I have been praying to you constantly, God, for your blessings upon my family. And God carried him through that season of trial and difficulty and gave him a testimony that has brought so many of us through so many things from a man that didn't have the book of Psalms. He didn't have the New Testament. He didn't have any of the things that we have, but he had God 
And he worshiped God. And I just loved the altar. And when I see the altar in the Old Testament, it's a place where men and women cried to God. It was a place where they prayed. It was where holy people met a holy God. And they just sacrificed with God. It wasn't sinners coming to know the Lord. It wasn't backsliders coming back. It wasn't prodigals coming home. It was men and women of God just coming before God in worship. And it was a place that they went to and they bowed. And there's stains on our floor. And there's stains. It's gross. There's stains on our altars. It's gross, but it's beautiful. I mean, there's grape juice stains and other stains. I don't know. But it's just like it's Beautiful just to see life has happened here. Life has happened here. It's, it's not a marbled cathedral that costs millions of dollars that you're scared to do anything in. But it's just a place where life happens and people are saved from death. And people have gone on into ministry because they heard the call of God in their life at an altar like Isaiah did when he was in the presence of God. And it's just so beautiful. Why do we do it? And I just say, why don't we do it? Why don't we do it everywhere? You know, but we, we structure things to such a way that we can't spend too much time in the altar. And even in Pentecostal churches, when we go and we travel, which is every, every month we're gone all over the nation and we're ministering and preaching and we go into Pentecost. This isn't everywhere, but we go into Pentecostal churches and there's suddenly a great move of God and it's not, you know, it's, it's not but a few minutes later and God's beginning to move that the pastor's coming up and he's closing the service and I'm just I'm I'm thinking oh my god what are you doing you know just even here during the worship service I was I, I just could not intrude on a holy moment that was going on it was just like people need God and God wants the people and there needs to be ministry and there's going to be more of it today and it's like so this has always been us it has always been our pursuit to be with God. It has never been my desire to get you to church. But it's always been my desire to get you to God. Because I believe if you can get into the presence of God, everything that's going on in your life will be answered there. I, I don't believe that demons are going to be successful against your life in the presence of God. I don't believe addiction is going to be as addictive to you in the presence of God. You can go to church and you can pray a thousand prayers. You can get the mightiest prayer warriors in your life. It's not going to change you. But the presence of God changes everything. And I just want you in his presence. I want you to be with God. I want it to be. I want us. Listen, I'm just talking. This is us. I, I just want us to be a church where people can get in his presence. I thank God. I think some of the most valuable people we have are those that lock up. Because church here practically never ends. I'll leave on a Wednesday night. We'll, 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 you know, usually maybe 8.30. We're, we're kind of ending things. And then we talk for a while. Then I'll go next door. And I'm getting things ready to go home. So maybe 9.30. And there's still lights on. There's still people in here talking and praying and fellowshipping. And people in the parking lots. And I just think about, thank God for the lockup person. You know, because they're just waiting because that's church. It really is. And it's like we, we got another group to come in here. And it's like, so we got to get you out. Oh, no, no, no. That's not what we want. We want God to come in here and we want people to come in around the presence of God. And we just want it to be beautiful. Because honestly, guys, forever, God has just wanted your heart. That's all he's ever wanted. He's not impressed that you go to church. He's not impressed that you know the hymns. He's not impressed that you can quote the scriptures. The devil can do all of that. 
But what he's impressed with is a man or woman whose heart is after God. Your heart is after God. And sometimes you might have a divided heart. Even David, who was said by God, this is a man after my own heart. There's a point in David's life where he's praying, God, unite my heart because it was divided. And even a man after God's own heart can be distracted with other things. But that's what God wants. You draw near to me with your mouths, but your hearts are far from me. It's not these sacrifices. It's not these vows. It's not the promises you make that impress me. But it's that you want me and you want to be near me and you want to be close to me. That is what touches the heart of God. And that is what God wants. And so wherever you are, if it's in a balcony or in a seat or whatever, I pray that church would not be something that you go to and you find a seat and you do your traditional thing. But I pray that it would be an avenue for which you could come and really draw near into the presence of God and be with him. Because that's the only thing that makes the difference. And the only hope that you have is the presence of God. When you said to seek my face, my heart said, oh God, your face will I seek. Hide not your face far from me. Don't put your servant away in anger. But Lord, hear me when I cried, be merciful to me. And when my father and mother forsake me, the Lord will take me up. That's what David knew when you said to seek you. My heart said, I will seek you, God. And so for you this morning, what is seeking God? What is pursuing God and what is the desire of your life? And I just want you to understand that about us. So we appeal to you. We literally appeal to you to just do things that move you in a way of faith. And our altars are a place for you to be moved to. It's a place where you go and meet with God. You can meet with God anywhere. And oftentimes we'll say that. You can make the place you are an altar. And that's great if you will. Make the place where you are an altar. But I've come to watch sometimes that a lot of times when people don't actually go to an altar, they sit in a chair and they just kind of look around. And they're not really making the place that they are an altar. They're just kind of observing everything else. And everything that goes on, everything that is happening in the service is designed with the faith and the intent to bring you into the presence of God. See, everything that we do in this church, we want to do it for Jesus. We're not doing it with man in mind. We're not doing it. If we sing this song, would you like it? Or if we sing this song, would you not like it? If we sing this song, well, how will that do? And if I preach this message, will you like it? And if I preach that, what is, you know, we're we're not doing that. Everything that we do is for Jesus. Is this what you want? Will this attract your presence? Is this the message you want said today? Is this what you want us to talk about? Is this what you want to serve the people today? And it's all for him because at the end of it all, everything is designed for this altar time. Everything is designed. Everything has been for him and everything he wants is you. And he wants you to be with him. He wants you to take the time to not rush away, but now sit before him from the songs that have been sung and the messages that have been preached that you come close to God now like Abraham would do. And you get before God in an altar and you pray and you worship the Lord. And so when you're coming to an altar, you know, moms, dads, if you see your your young person in an altar, you come home and say, okay, what sin are you in? 
What do you mean? Well, why are you in an altar? What are you doing? You know, what's your sin? No, it doesn't mean that. It could mean that. But oftentimes it just means that that's a man or a woman in love with God and they just want to go and worship God. And they want to be close to the Lord. They want to press into Him and be near Him and be close to Him. And I just believe that is important. I think it's a gross injustice to God for us to be passive in our worship, passive in our families. Imagine, imagine this, guys. And I'm talking to the men. I'm talking to fathers and grandfathers, macho men. Not going to show an emotion, not going to cry, not going to shed a tear. All right. But imagine what would happen if you got on your knees during a song service. And you just fell on your face before God and you began to worship him. Imagine what your grandchildren would think. Because I guarantee you they'd notice it. Imagine what people who admire you would think about. Man, there's an affection in their heart for God. There's a humility in them. God, my dad's big, but God's bigger. I mean, if this God can bring my dad to his knees and to tears, this is a great God. And I want to know this God like that. And there's something attractive about that. It's something very attractive and appealing to Christianity when we ask, let me, let me ask you this, what kind of church do you want? What kind of church do you want? Do you want to have a church where everything is for Jesus? You want to have a church where there's life and there's power and there's joy and there's love and there's ministry? Let me ask you this question. If everybody in church did what you did, acted the way you acted, prayed the way you prayed, sang the way you sang, what kind of church would it be? Would it be dead? Would it be inactive? Would it be cold? Would it be unloving? Would it be unfriendly? Would it be unkind? What kind of church would it be? And I I don't say this because I'm the pastor of the church. But I come every time with this desire, I want to give you what you want. And if it all depended on me, I want to do everything I can to give you everything that you want. And I'm not an outgoing person. I'm a very shy person, very shy individual, and I don't like to be up front and out front. I'd rather be in the back and I'd rather be in hiding. But this is for Jesus and he's bigger than me. And I want to give this to him. And so I think about this. I, I went with my son to an LSU football, LSU Arkansas. I was like, oh my gosh. Boring game, we're losing overtime with an interception. And so we go out there, not too early, but we go out there and I'm watching the huge, I mean, it was an amazing worship service at LSU. Everybody was wearing the colors. You didn't even have to tell them. Hey, come dressed for the event. No, they had their purple and gold on. They had the Joe Burrow shirts, their nines. They had everything, you know. I mean, it was just, we, we're putting the uniform on. And we get out there early. Wow, we're not going to get late. We're not going to go late for church. And it's a losing team. And we're going to be out there early. Not, we're not going to just be on time. We're going to be, we're, let's cook. 
Let's tailgate. Let's cook jambalaya. Let's make a day of it. And let's go do all of this. And, and let's go. And boy, if you've ever watched the marching band uh, coming down the street and entering into the stadium, it's quite an experience. There's hundreds, if not thousands of people that line the streets as you hear the marching band beginning to come and, and people are enthralled with it. And then when the band comes, you know, and they're playing the marching song and everybody's hollering and all that. And it's before church even starts. I mean, this would be like you getting out of the car at the church parking lot and we got some people playing trumpets and trombones out there. How great. And you're like, oh, yeah, going to church today. It's awesome, you know. And it'd be like people driving by. Y'all are crazy. Why are we crazy to worship a winning God when the world's worshiping a losing team? I don't get it. I don't get it. Yeah, and you can say, oh, that, that ain't, that, that ain't worship. Wow, you, they take tithes. They take offers. You ever bought a Coke and popcorn at that thing? I mean, how much money are they making? Good night. We don't take cash. I guess not. You can't, you don't have enough cash on you to do that. You'd be beat up by everybody. You gotta have a credit card because everything costs so much money, you know? And, and, and it's just crazy, you know? It's all of the people, they're cheering, they got, they got cheerleaders that say, on the, y'all say go, you say tigers, you say go, you say tigers, and all the other cheers, and, and people are doing it, and they're all doing it, even you guys do it, you know you do. Those of you that have been there, you know you've done it. You know you've screamed. You, Lord, you've screamed at them at your home. And you go to church like everything's dull and dead and lifeless. And I just thought, man, why don't we do... Ch- I wish people would go to church like that. I wish people would go early to church. I wish people would go with an excitement, enthusiasm, wearing the suit, wearing the colors, putting on Jesus Christ, you know, and, and going there to cheer on the people of God and give celebration to the Lamb of God that is one and joyfully give our tithes and all you're paying millions of dollars to a losing coach. I mean, my goodness, and you try to get a dollar out of somebody to give a tithe. You know, and you say, well, you get what you pay for. Well, Lord, you got to give LSU a lot of money. If you want to turn around this program, you know, you get what you pay for. But I'll tell you, we, we're getting a lot more than what we paid for. Because all of this was free to us through Jesus Christ. And I don't understand it. I, I just, I watch these kids at weddings. I watch all, I'm going to just do it. I watch all at weddings, the young people. And for the life of me, you know, people get married and they want the service to be so holy and everything. Talk about Jesus. Now we're going to the reception and we're going to play secular music and dance to all of that. And I watch young people and I watch other people. They all get out on the dance floor and they're dancing crazy. They got hundreds of people watching them like that. They don't care, but come into church. Where are they in an altar? Oh my gosh, I can't be seen up there. Why? What is the diff? Where is God in this? You know? Look, I'm leaving town tonight, okay? So I'm just like. We all are. We all, Noah's here. <laughs> I don't understand it. And I, I hey, I, go for it. You want to dance at weddings? Go for it. Have a joyful time. But don't leave God out on Sundays. You want to go to an LSU game? Go for it. You want to buy season tickets? Go for it. You want to buy Coke and popcorn and peanuts? Go for it. But don't leave Jesus out. Yeah. 
Because he's the most attractive. And why can't we compel ourselves around him in faith and do that? And I know what it is. Well, you know, obviously it's not for the football team. It's obvious that it's not because it's a winning team. It's obvious because it's the experience, right? It's the experience of it all. So that's why we go to the games and that's why we tailgate and that's why we do all of that. It's for the, we'll we'll leave at halftime or something. But what about the experience of God? What about, so, so you're having a rough day. Maybe you're having a losing week, but it's for the experience, right? And this experience is real. It's real, you know, and, and, and God is really here and he's really among us. I, I want to read Hebrews 13 and I want to go to Revelation and I want you to see this. I'm just being honest with you guys in my heart. I really am. I just want God to be worshipped. I want us to be a church that is a refuge for people to come to. A place where people can meet God. And and if that's going to happen, it takes all of us. And that's what this altar is. It is a place where we can meet with God and we can pray through and we can give birth to things. And be called into ministry and be delivered from sins and everything. And so I read this to you and we're going to go into Revelation. But Hebrews 1312, wherefore Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people with his own blood, suffered without the gate. Let us go forth, therefore, unto him without the camp, bearing his reproach. And so that's just it, going forth to him. For here we have no continuing city, but we seek one to come. By him, therefore, let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually. And that is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. And, I, and we're supposed to do good. We're supposed to give. And, and these sacrifices God is pleased with. But I, I, just, I just want to come and just get to Jesus, really. That's all I'm saying. Just get to Jesus. Let, let Jesus become so great to you that he astonishes you. And he just astonishes you. You just love him. Even the shyest men in this room stood before hundreds of people in an altar marrying your wife. In Revelation chapter 4, and I want to come here because I just want to say, y'all, if we're Christians, this is where we're going. And this is what you're going to be doing. And all I'm trying to say is, let's have church that looks a little bit like heaven on earth. That's all I'm saying. Because you're going to be doing this in heaven. Right? And and this is going to be the attitude in the heart of your life. So in Revelation 4, verse 2, he says, And immediately I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne was set in heaven, and one sat on the throne. In verse 4, And round about the throne were 24 seats. And upon the seats I saw four or 24 elders sitting clothed in white raiment. And they had on their heads crowns of gold. So I just kind of say this. It's good that you're sitting in church. It's good that we sit. Thank God for chairs. Thank God for seats. That's great. We have no problem with that. They sit in heaven. They rest in heaven. Because the Lamb of God is one. And they sit up on these these seats around the throne. 
But that's not all they do. Notice verse 10. And the 24 elders fall down before him that sat on the throne. And worship him that lives forever and ever. And cast their crowns before the throne. Saying, and you're going to see this a lot in Revelation. They're always saying something to God. And they're saying, thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. For thou hast created all things, and for thy pleasure they are and were created. If you get into an altar of praise and you don't know what to say, just take your Bible and read Revelation 4.11. And stand in the altar and just say that, thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. But I want you to notice in verse 10, they're not sitting anymore. Now they're falling down. So the posture changes and they're not quiet. They're speaking. That's going on in heaven. The 24 elders represent the 12 patriarchs of the Old Testament and the 12 apostles of the New Testament. You, you are incorporated in that. That's what you will be doing as well, falling before the throne. As a matter of fact, he tells us this in verse 10 and it says, or, or verse 9, it says this, And they sung a new song, saying, Thou art worthy to take the book and open the seals thereof, for you were slain, redeemed us to God by your blood, out of every kindred, tongue, people, nation. And you've made us unto our God kings and priests, and we shall reign on the earth. And so now they're singing, and they're saying, they're doing both, and they're giving glory to God. In verse 11, And I beheld, and I heard the voice of many angels round about the throne. So you hear the voices of angels. You also hear the voices of beasts. And you also hear the voices of elders. And not only that, and then there's a number of them. was 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands and thousands. And that's got to include you guys saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the lamb that was slain to receive power, riches, wisdom, strength, and honor, and glory, and blessing. And every creature in heaven, earth, and hell began to praise him. So that's what they're doing in heaven. Let's have a little bit of that on earth. And, that, and that's why we do what we do. Because we, we want to be the people of faith who are joining with the body of Christ in heaven to worship the lamb of God. Who is upon the throne. And I love that. There's these many voices. Tens of thousands of thousands. Saying all this. In Revelation chapter 5. You, you read these things. And you understand these things. And read it all the way through. Through ver, verse uh, 14. And he says in verse 14. The four beasts said amen. And the 24 elders fell down. And worshipped him. That lives forever and ever. And there they are. They're falling down before him again. And isn't it wonderful? I, you, you know in heaven you're going to fall down before Jesus. I don't, I don't care how strong and macho you think you are. But how wonderful it is for men and women of God on earth to by faith behold a God so lovely and so awesome that you fall before him now. In Revelation chapter 7 verse 9 the Bible says this. <clears throat> After this, I beheld and lo, a great multitude which no man could number of all nations and kindreds and people and tongues. They stood before the throne. So we saw them sitting and we saw them falling down and now we see them standing before the throne. It's a congregate. They're not just in heaven. They have all gathered and they're around the throne. 
And they've stood before the lamb and they're clothed with white robes and palms in their hands and cried with a very soft voice, very gentle voice. They cried with a loud voice saying salvation to our God, which sits upon the throne and unto the lamb. And all the angels stood round about the throne and about the elders and the beast and fell before the throne on their faces and worshiped God saying, Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be unto our God forever and ever. Amen. Is he not worthy of that in this room? Is he not worthy of that in an altar from your life? I believe that he is. In verse 15. It says, therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he that sitteth on the throne shall dwell among them and they shall hunger no more nor thirst any more. Neither shall the sun light on them nor any heat. And I just want to say this. I believe people who are before the throne of God now serving him day and night pray without ceasing. I believe they're also satisfied with their hunger and their thirst in Jesus Christ. And I think it's very beautiful. In chapter 11, verse 16, it tells us this. And the 24 elders which sat, they're sitting again, which sat before God on their seats. Now they're falling, fall upon their faces and worship God. It's just like there's just a lot of things happening that are going on in heaven. They're standing, they're sitting, they're falling, they're standing again, they're crying, they're saying, they're singing. And they're saying here, we give you thanks, O Lord God Almighty, which are and was and are to come because thou hast taken to thee your great power and has reigned. And it's just so beautiful. And then I want you to see this in Revelation 19. Another scene that's in heaven where the saints are there. And he says in verse 1. And after these things, I heard a great voice of much people in heaven. Isn't that great? John heard it. It's a great voice. It's a lot of people. And they're saying, Alleluia. Salvation and glory and honor and power unto the Lord our God. Verse 3. Again, they said, Alleluia. In verse 4, they fell down and worshipped God, saying, Amen. Alleluia. In verse 6, I heard as it were the voice of a great multitude and as the voice of many waters and as the voice of mighty thunderings saying, Hallelujah, for the Lord God omnipotent reigns. Let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him for the marriage of the lamb is come and his wife has made herself ready. Should we not do that now? We know we're going to this wedding We're the bride that's going to be in the wedding. Should we not be doing that on earth in faith and in preparation of this? And this is what I love. It just says, you know, it was this great voice. It was many, many voices. And it was it was such a multitude of people there. And it was sounded like rushing waters or thunderings. But this was this is what jumped out to me. It didn't sound like many voices. It sounded like the voice. Read it. And it just says, the voice, the voice, the voice. All of the many became one. And all of the many that became one sounded like a 
thunder sounded like a mighty river that you could hear rushing, you know, and, and you could, you could just know that something mighty is going on. And to me, honestly, guys, that has been one of the most beautiful things I've witnessed in my life. As I was growing up and even going into places where the people were really filled with the Spirit of God and they loved the Lord and they worshiped God, that they would come and some of the, you know, the old timers, we would call that the afterglow of the service where people are just sitting in the presence of God. And all of a sudden, the, the praise just began to come up from the people. And all of the people began to speak to God and all of the people began to praise God and people were singing and people were crying and people were praising and people were shouting. But you didn't hear everybody's voice. It was like there was one rumble, one roar, one mighty river that was going on in the congregation. And you just sat there and said, my God, this is like the most beautiful sound I've ever heard on earth. It is so amazing. I, I was I was raised in a Presbyterian church till I was about 15 years old. And I remember when we were about eight years, I was about eight years old. We went to First Assembly of God on Goodwood Boulevard and we're there for the Sunday morning service. Never been there before. And we were sitting there in that service and 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 I was on the edge of my seat the whole time. I'm just I'm just I'm seven. I'm eight. I don't know. I've had experiences with God. I gave my heart to Jesus when I was five. Nobody's going to keep me from God. I was just pursuing him like that. And I was sitting in the church and then the preacher preached. And then, then there's this altar service that I'd never seen before. This altar service is going on that was just spectacular. I mean, I was enthralled with it. And I'm, I'm, I'm eight years old and I'm sitting on the edge of my seat and like, I want to go up there. I just want to go up there. But I, I was kind of made to stay in my seat. And so I didn't. And I'm just sitting there and I'm just like, and, and my family's like, they're ready to go. And I'm like, I'm not ready to go. I can't go. And and I remember in one of those moments, I looked up at my parents and I just said, why would you bring me anywhere else? God's presence is in here. I was aware of that at eight years old. And I could hear the sound of all of the voices becoming one. And guys, it is the most beautiful thing you will ever hear. And you get to be a part of that. And that is the altar. That is it. That is the sacrifice and the prayers and the praise of God's people as they're coming. And it is a place to gather. It is. It is an action of faith. When Jesus addressed people, he called them out of the crowd. He didn't deal with anybody in obscurity. He didn't just deal with somebody in general. There's somebody in this crowd. I have a discernment that somebody's got a slip disc in their back. No, he dealt with them. He knew who they were. He called them out. He told Zacchaeus, get out of that tree and come down here and meet me face to face. He called people. He went to that man at the pool of Bethesda out of everybody and addressed him publicly face to face. And, and you know, I believe God does that. I, one of the things I appreciate about Billy Graham is he would always say that. That, you know, that, that when Jesus called people, he called them publicly. And Billy Graham would have altar services where people would come to be saved. And I think it's beautiful. And I think it ought to be the, the habit of our faith to do that. It should be, you should go to the altar every day. Somebody says, why does, every time I go to church, that person's in the altar. Praise God. That's where they need to be. Praise God. Every place needs to be an altar. And, 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 and what to God, the whole room here was just one big altar. 
to God. One big altar, one big choir, one big voice of, of praise to God. Now, in, in Revelation 9, I already read it. Okay, I want, to, I want to tell you this. I want you to look at John. This guy's amazing, all right? This is John the Apostle. When he wrote his, when he wrote his gospel, what does he say about himself in regards to Jesus? The disciple whom Jesus And, and, and the reason it says that is not that Jesus didn't love the others. But John took advantage of how accessible Jesus was. They followed him for three years. They had homes. Peter still had his fishing boats and his business. And there were many times throughout those three years that they would be sent back to their homes. They weren't with Jesus every second for three years. They had duties and they had demands and they had families they had to take care of. So they might gather together and go follow Jesus for three months and then maybe go back home for a couple of weeks or a month and then meet up again and go back with Jesus. It was these, they had responsibilities and families. But John, he never left. He never left. John cannot get close enough to Jesus. At the Last Supper... When Jesus is telling the people, somebody's going to betray me. It was Peter who said to John, because this is too intimate of a question. And there's John laying on top of Jesus. He's literally laying on Jesus's chest. I want to love him like that. I want to know him like that. I want the default of my life to be worship. I want that. And I read this and this just kind of jumped out at me about two or three days ago when I was reading this about John. And I said, oh my gosh, that's just, that's got to be one of the reasons he and others were called to be disciples. And, I, and, and so just look at this in verse 10. Or verse 9, and he says, he, he said to me, write, blessed are they which are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are the true sayings of God. And I fell at his feet to worship him. And he said to me, see thou do it not. I am your fellow servant of your brothers that have the testimony of Jesus. Worship God for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. And here's this John, and he just falls down to worship at the feet of this man. And then if you would notice in chapter 22, he says in verse 8, And I, John, saw these things and heard them. And when I had heard and seen, I fell down to worship before the feet of the angel, which showed me these things. Then he said to me, See, thou do it not, for I am your fellow servant and of your brothers the prophets. And I just, there's this default in John to worship. That's just his go-to posture. He's in heaven. He's seeing heavenly things. He's seeing remarkable things. <clears throat> but he's seen Jesus in chapter 1. He knows what Jesus looks like. But here he is encountering one of his own brothers. Who's in a glorified state. And John just falls down and word. They have to test. Stop John. Don't worship me. 
And it's just like, man, if every child of God on earth could have that default in their spirit, not to worship one another, but just to worship God. If that would just be the default in our spirit to just worship God, to have an altar where we go and pray, an altar in your home, an altar at your work, an altar in your car, an altar in the church, a place, an appointment, a place of meeting, and a place where you do business with God. God demands a response from you. He demands it. He demands confession. The Bible tells us about confession and how important it is. So I want to close with this. This is in Hebrews 4. And I want, to, I want to explain this to you about the, the altar. And the Bible tells us here in Hebrews chapter 4, if, if I can, just skip, skim with me through some of this. And In verse 1, it talks about entering into his rest. And that's very important. In verse 3, it says, we that believe have entered into his rest. And that rest is the new covenant. It is his grace. It is the ability of God inside of me to be everything he wants me to be. And then he goes and he says in verse 6 that others did not enter because of unbelief. And then he says today, if you won't harden your hearts and come to him, you will enter into his rest. He says in verse 9, there remains a rest for the people of God. In verse 10, it says, he that has entered into his own rest shall also cease from his own works as God did from his. And praise God in grace, we're not trying to make ourselves something. We're believing God and we're walking with God and we're trusting God and we're working in faith. But here it is. So read this with me. Verse 12. For the word of God is quick and powerful. And sharper than any two-edged sword. Piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit. And of the joints and marrow. And is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. That's the word of God. You talk about powerful. It hits you like a hammer. It cuts you like a knife. And it removes everything you're hiding behind. And you're completely exposed to God. In verse 13, it says, neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his sight. But all things are naked and opened unto the eyes of him with whom we have to do. You need help. If that's what this does, you need help. And in verse 14, you have it. Seeing then that we have a great high priest... That is passed into the heavens. Jesus the son of God. Let us hold fast our profession. For we have not a high priest. Which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities. Which was in all points tempted like as we are. Yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly. Unto the throne of grace. That we may obtain mercy. And find grace to help. In time of need. What's your time of need? The word of God just went out. And Pastor Lee has cut me. I feel conviction. I feel exposed. I might be disturbed. I might be angry. 
I might be offended. There might be a number of emotions that are coming out of you right now. The word of God has hit you like a hammer or it's cut you like a knife. It has removed everything that you've been hiding behind and you're exposed. So what do you do? You get out of here as fast as you can. You get in your car and go eat. Go watch the saints. Maybe they'll win. Do something. Maybe somebody say, I'm going to go drink. But I'm not going to stay here a moment longer than I have to. That's what Satan wants you to do. And that's what Christians do week after week after week after week. They go to church. And the preacher preaches. And they get cut. And they're wounded. And they get hammered by the word of God. And there's a brokenness. And they leave. And they come back the next week and it happens again and they leave and they come back the next week and they get it again and they leave and they come back the next week and they get it again and they leave and they're lacerated, gaping wounds, open sores, bitterness, anger, offended. I ain't going there. I feel this. I feel that. I want to go where... It just makes me feel good. Wherever you go and the Holy Ghost is there, trust me. He's looking at you saying, you're not like Jesus yet. We got more work to do. And it's going to hurt. There's going to be conviction. So if you're going to a place where the Holy Spirit's not convicting you, you need to, you need to back up a little bit and say, I don't know I need to be here. But what does he tell you to do? Hey. This is your time of need. Why do I dance at a wedding and not in an altar? I'm a little upset with that. Take it to the altar. Take it to the altar. I don't like Lee insinuating that I'm some macho man who doesn't love God. Take it to the altar. Because you have a great high priest who loves you. And after this word of God goes forth, he doesn't want you to go get in your car and go to the restaurant and eat and go watch a ball game or go to sleep and take a nap. He would no more send you away like that than a doctor would open you up with heart surgery and not sew you back. But he would say, come into this altar, draw near my throne of grace and let me heal you now let me mend you let me put you back together so that you're whole and you're healed and you're happy and you're free and you're not bitter and upset because Jesus is going to say some real things to us and truthful things to us But he's not trying to hurt us. He wants to free us. But if you don't come to the altar. If you don't come to the throne of grace. Then you bypass that and you leave with your wounds. Say well I went to church. 
It just doesn't work for him. And no, church doesn't work. But Jesus does. And you've got to get to that throne of grace. And, and everything that, that we do, one of the greatest desires is unto Jesus Christ is to, is to give you the opportunity to spend time with him about whatever it is he said about your life. It might not have been anything that I said or anything that I preached. It could be totally something else. But he's saying something to your life will come to the throne of grace where you will what? Find help, mercy, grace in your time of need. And you will be healed. You will be healed. And that's what he wants. But if we don't have this altar, if we don't have this time that we're about to enter into with God, then we bypass that. And Satan is waiting for you at your car. And he's going to steal the seed. And by tonight, if not tomorrow, you're not even going to remember what we preached. That's happened numbers of times. Great service today. What did he preach on? I don't remember. But it was good. Satan steals it. He can't afford to let you have it. So I, I, I say to you, First New Testament Church, we are a people who wants to come to God. We want to have an altar. We want to take time with the Lord so that we can be a people who are whole and healed and delivered and free and happy and loving one another and joyful with one another. And we can take the word. We want the word. We love the word. We want the conviction because we know the healing and we know the wholeness of it. Now, nobody can make you go there. And you can go there without faith. But if you go in faith, he will meet you there. And he will touch you. There was a lady who was very sick. And nobody could help her. And she spent all of her money. And there was not a doctor around who knew her problem or how to cure it. And one day she heard that Jesus was coming. She had been sick for about 12 years, bleeding. And when she heard that Jesus was coming, she knew if I could touch him, I will be well. And on the day that Jesus arrived in her city, it wasn't difficult to find out where he was. There were thousands of people around him. And everybody's pressing in as close as they can. This woman, defiled, unclean, bleeding, smelly, sick, fought her way through the crowd in a desperation of faith she got close enough where she could touch his robe and she did immediately she felt something happen in her body the Bible says she knew she was healed and Jesus stopped 
Jesus said with authority, who touched me? And the disciples all around Jesus, come on, Jesus. Everybody's pressing in around you. People are bumping into you everywhere. Oh, I don't mean that kind of touch. Somebody touched me with faith. Because I felt power go out of me. And that little old lady confessed, Lord, it was me. And he said, daughter, your faith has made you whole. How many people in that crowd that day were sick? But they didn't touch him. They bumped into him. They were in the crowd. It's full of excitement. Incredible experience. I saw Jesus heal a lady today. But they weren't. They could have been. They didn't touch him. So I come to church and I'm grateful for the crowd. I'm so glad you're here. And I love to be among you because you're my family. And I love you. But I, I literally have to touch him. There comes a point I have to get away from you I have to fight past you. And I've got to go touch him. Because I'm desperate for his power. That comes out of him. Because you see. I don't stand a chance against my temptations. I don't stand a chance against my sin. I am so corrupt and so perverted and so weak and so emotional. I've got to touch him. I've got to touch him. And I'm grateful. There's a place here where I can do that. I can do it in my car. I can do it at my home. I can do it anywhere. But in the crowd where two or more gather together, he is there in the midst of I'm going to fight past you. I'm going to touch you. And one day you're going to say, well, I was in church and man, I just really experienced Jesus do some great things for some people. And I'm going to say, I was one of them. I was one of them. His power went into me.